1: Well, who hasn't heard someone, probably yourself, yell at a TV screen about something quite important? For many, it's a rather frequent cathartic lifestyle pattern. One of the triggers for this yell at the TV behaviour is the TV screen being loaded with 40 and 50-something white males, just like me. We know on-screen diversity in the TV sector has fueled much consternation, but change seems to be in the wind, or maybe. Global media and studio giant Viacom CBS has a no-diversity, no-commission policy when greenlighting TV formats. Nice idea, but does it matter? Will it change anything? And should brands be factoring these sorts of policies into their decision-making on shows they will back as advertisers? Ten Viacom CBS National Creative Director Michael Stanford is leading the charge on this in Australia and he's joined by Inocean CEO Jasmine Badir and Eureka Productions Head of Entertainment Sophia Mogford to discuss the impacts both on and behind the screen and the implications for brands as diversity policy moves increasingly through the supply chain. And for good measure, we're going to talk about Fuck the Cupcakes initiative uh, from Jasmine around tackling misogyny in culture and the workplace. This one is a fascinating theme. So welcome to you all, uh, panellists, and we'll get started. Michael, how about we start with you first, given that you started this whole thing. Quickly give us the elevator pitch on this no diversity, no commission policy at 10 Viacom CBS, uh, why it happens, why it's happening and when it started. Welcome, Michael.
2: Thanks, Paul. Look, I think it's pretty straightforward. It seems very obvious, but it's something that's so critical. For how we as broadcasters take responsibility for the content on our, on our channels, across our brands. So, effectively, this came in last year across Viacom CBS globally, and we employ that here as well. Um, it's, it's very simple policy, it's just ensuring that whatever content we have is just reflective of the country that we're in, it's reflective of the audiences that we have and uh you know we can see it across many of our formats and sophia knows much about it as well but if you think about the master chefs uh you think about the amazing race uh we're seeing diversity but more importantly we're just seeing what audiences respond to which is them
1: give us a sense on on how the practical outwork into this michael so you know two years ago it wasn't on your radar when 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 ten was commissioning uh stuff i mean sh- Clearly, mind people were mindful of it, producers mindful, and so forth. But what actually happens now when you sit down to go, we think this format, this show's got got legs. What happens after that in terms of how you uh, sort of ensure uh, your diversity happens?
2: I think I think it starts off very much from if we sort of step back a moment, if we think about the business um, Viacom CBS globally. We're seeing that at a global level and we're seeing at a local level with Jared Villani and Beverly McGarvey in terms of our co-leads. There is a, a commitment, a focus on and a responsibility in terms of the social issues that, are, that we see in the world today. So in terms of the practical side of this, this just comes down to when we're looking at a pitch, where we're looking at a potential format, whether that be reality or a drama, um, or even if we're looking at the casting of a panel show, we're just making sure that when there is, when we're going through the casting, when we're going through that process, um, it is just reflective of, of the audiences that we have and just of the broader country itself. It's really simple, but it's a very effective way, but it's an important part of the process. It's just one element that is very easy for us to bring into into um, consideration for our productions, as well as the productions that we, we focus on as well. You know, if you think about what we've put to wear in the last 12 months, whether it's Out Here documentary series, the Adam Goods documentary. Um, you know, we've got even the first inventors and and these are the really important things. So there's the casting element, there's the actual formats that we do, um, as well as how we work with brands. We've just recently created a, a partnership with Dell and Mediacom called Changemakers and it was great because within that, we looked at just a handful of changemakers, um, but two uh, were, you know, indigenous uh, entrepreneurs, leaders, teachers. So it was fantastic uh, to 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 work with them, but to tell their stories in a positive way. So these are just sorts of things
1: that we can all do. Was there been any radical change from from your side, Michael? Have you had to change dramatically anything you do, or maybe how you think about things, or is it a, is it sort of essentially a no brainer? I, I just I just think it's a no brainer. I mean, I think it's something that you know we
2: all feel quite passionately about. It when you, we think about. Um, just me as an individual, but also as the organisation, there is just a, a sort of, as I said before, there is a real focus, a kind of a commitment uh, across the company to social justice, to equity, to inclusion. And this is something that we're, we're very aware of the fact that the company influences culture on a global scale with the brands we have um, from MTV, Nickelodeon, across Showtime, all, all the different brands within uh, Viacom CBS. It means that it's something that we have a big responsibility, but also a huge opportunity. And it is, as you said, it is a no-brainer, it's reflective of our audiences, it's what our audience want to see and engage with, but it also, it gives us the opportunity to play a role. You know, as I've said before, we're not, media is not responsible exclusively for the challenges, many of the challenges we face, but we, we have a disproportionate uh, power in terms of how we can, can influence those and, and make a difference. And as I said, that can be just as, as, a, as a no-brainer as just the casting, um, it's it's when we look at formats that we can bring on the air which deliver a message, but also on air talent. You know, we we are very fortunate across Australia and around the world where we have everyone from, you know, Wally Dali to tr- Trevor Noah to James Corden, Sandra Sully, Gal King, Carrie Bickmore. We've got a range of different people that all have an intent. To 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 make things better, to deliver a message um, that's positive, and to address issues with that kind of positive intent, without sort of sensationalising or taking things t- to sort of catastrophy an event, but kind of to to to, com- to create sort of conversations which are unbiased. And it, it, that is a that is a big um, that's something that's really important for us. Something that me personally, it's really important that we can have the incredible people that we have on air that can talk about those things. Um, and as I
1: said, you know, there's
2: an opportunity too, to work with brands too in this space.
1: So Sophia, it's interesting though, but Michael talks about it being a no brainer, right? What uh, 10 Viacom CBS is doing in terms of the diversity and just thinking about things and doing things differently. You've done shows, or you're doing shows like The Amazing Race, right? So you're, you're trying to implement this stuff yourself. We'll get to that. If it's such a no brainer and it's reasonably simple to implement, which it sounds like it is uh, with Michael's group anyway, why is there so much essentially shit thrown at television for not delivering that on the screen? Why we don't see the sort of the, the diversity that Michael's talking about trying to get to it at 10 Viacom CBS? That broader question about what's on the screen now.
3: I mean, you have to look at the history of this country. Unfortunately, um, you you do. There's a there's a legacy um, that we're all living through. I think um, um, with the history of Australia, which it, it has been white supremacy, um, and and I think that that I'm not saying it's like that at all now because it's a very welcoming place. Being English myself, I felt very at home here. I love it. Um, but you you the majority of people on screen are white and the majority of networks um, employ white people on screen. Um, And I think that's partly because the... That's the way it's been for a very long time. Change is coming, but it's slow. Um, it's a re-education of people. It's a re-education of what people expect to, f- to feel comfortable with when they sit down in their home and what they expect to see on the screen. Um, so um, slow but he wins the race. It's- the screen has to reflect society. So it will happen, but it's just going to take time.
1: So is it more than about innate bias and unconscious bias than it is about, say, fear, risk and, and risk avoidance? Is there, is there a risk aversion here that, oh, if we... You know, a producer does something uh, that might have diversity, and it's not going to sing like it might with lots of you know same-looking people.
3: I think that you, I think you have to look at um, whether any of the other channels have the same, are, are looking to implement the similar similar things that Viacom Ten have. Ten, Mark On you know, no, I, I, SBS, ABC, obviously um, have have certain charters that they need to fulfil. But um, I think of the of the other channels, I can't see it happening soon. But I think that the change will happen on the other channels. They probably just it it will just take a little bit more time.
1: I want to get Jasmine's thoughts on it as well. But Michael, first, you know, in terms of that risk versus innate bias, if it's a no-brainer, why isn't every why is every broadcaster doing it now? And why and why not earlier? I think it starts, you know, sometimes these things you need to look at the broader picture and think about
2: what is the organisation doing at the very top from a leadership point of view. So I think it, you need to think in, in terms of what is the intent from from the leadership. I think secondly, you need to look at, you know, what are the internal policies that action change within organisations? So. You know, we've, we're have we the first network um, to set up, to work to implement a reconciliation action plan. We've got diversity, equity, inclusion action plans as well. So I think by doing those internal and external policies is really important. And then once you start building that up, once you start looking at um, what what your intent is, you look at the talent that you have, the types of formats you have, it starts to flow on that it makes a lot of sense to also be... Um, to to have casting to have formats that are reflective of the broader community. If there isn't, then I think there's things that are somehow missing in that sequence. Uh,
1: Jasmine, your your thoughts on this? Because I mean, I, I know you're not in the broadcast industry, but you have obviously got clients and you you, you play um, in and around all of the media. Um, you, just from the outside on the screens, what do you make of if? Well, Michael's point, it's a no-brainer, but we don't necessarily see that reflected yet across the screens, the content we're watching on TV.
0: Um, I think it's complicated, but first of all, I would say it's great to see that it's a no-brainer at uh, Channel 10. Um, I don't think it's a no-brainer when you look at the wider media industry at this stage. Um, we've been quite vocal about it and talked about a dark side of reach where we believe that uh, advertisers are really, really great at you know, um, checking where they place the advertisement when it comes in to YouTube or digital channels. But when it goes to TV programming, it's usually all about reach and reach trumps morality or diversity every single time. I think it has got a lot to do with what leadership in those companies look like. And also, what the executives and what the what the makeup of the leadership team looks like. So, if you're in an echo chamber of mostly white, privileged, eastern seaboard um, staff, then you probably believe everything is okay, and there's nothing for you to change in terms of the programming or formats that you put on and the narrative that you create. But I think the majority of cu- um, customers of Brands are salt of the earth, Australians that live in very diverse uh, suburbs and are not necessarily found in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. And when you talk to the brands, they all think this is a really important point because they feel that their consumers are actually not reflected and that when it comes to narratives around femininity, narratives about masculinity, but also about skin colours and religions.
1: Well, you know what's going to be really interesting on that one though, Jasmine, is to see whether the brands can walk the talk because it's easy to say that. What are they going to do with their money and where are they going to back themselves in terms of if you've got, a, if you've got an alternative, like perhaps we do now with what TEN's doing, TEN Viacom CBS, will they, you know, there's, I'm fascinated in that. There's, there's a lot of tension in that one.
0: It's super complicated. You're 100% right. And I don't think anyone can get on a soapbox and preach and say, we've got all the answers here. But I think we all have a responsibility to be more introspective and actually think about what we do, where we put our advertising dollars and should it be there?
1: Unconscious bias or risk aversion? Where's the waiting? Because it's probably not either or, it could be both.
0: Unconscious bias is we are all guilty of it. Even I'm guilty of it. I'm running an agency group that fights um, misogyny, but we have all internalised these behaviours over a very, very long time. So I think we can't get away from unconscious bias. I think our, our responsibility is to be more vocal about it and point it out so we can stop it whenever we spot it.
1: So unconscious bias versus risk. There's not risk aversion here. It's not so much about whether people are worried that the the industry is worried about what happens if they have a more diverse cast, for instance. It's not that. It's just more the bias.
0: I think it's the bias. And if you haven't had that lived experience of diversity, you do not actually understand what people want from you. I've been talking to brands where they say my agencies don't understand. When we're asking them to bring us a diverse cast or narrative, they actually... Don't understand why this is so important to them.
1: Fascinating. I'm going to come back to that one. I just want to get um, Sophia's uh, view on what you're practically doing on something like an amazing race, Sophia. So you, you're trying—you know—you're you're implementing this. Tell us some of your learnings and experience, and in some of the shows that you're producing.
3: Um, so the amazing race, uh, we've done two series of out of Eureka, and I initially came to Eureka because. Um, we don't have a sort of, we don't need to have a policy. We, of course, everyone needs to have policies. But at Eureka, we we don't have a policy per se um, on diversity. But Chris and Paul have always been very global thinking with this company. And so there's never a conversation that I need to have about who I'd like to include. I've been lucky enough to work with 10 and, and all the other networks as well. Um, a lot over the years, but 10, I've always found to be very, If I walked into a boardroom at 10 and I presented a cast of 13 white faces, that that would not be acceptable um, at all. I think that what we've been able to do with race is cast across the nation largely the car when the casting is open just so you know how it works there's a casting page and people apply through the casting page when they apply they send put put a photograph of themselves and write a little bit about themselves so i'm lucky enough to be able to then cherry pick from that there's a very big race thousands and thousands and thousands of people want to be on so there's a there's a bit of a process that's involved but what you're able to do with that is is the majority of people are, are white Australian, and that's, I think, partly because of who is seen on seen on TV, that that's who they think, you know, people like that feel entitled to apply, and maybe other people from, from different cultures don't feel so inclined because they're a bit more nervous about what the experience will hold for them. But we've been able to cast very diversely and inclusively on race. And then equally, then, when we put the guys through the filming of the race um, being able to I suppose lift the veil and smash some of those stereotypes Um, and so the story the stories that we're able to glean from these guys as they go through the experience of the race are much richer than you than you would have if you just had the very same person the, the cookie cutter person running it.
1: Just for those, I mean, so how diverse is the cast, you know, for the, the most recent season? What did you what did you get to?
3: We have less Indigenous Australians who apply simply because I think, again, then they are nervous about how they're going to be portrayed. Um, but we had Indigenous Australians, cousins, we had Sikhs, we had the um, year before we've had Muslims, we've had island, we have Islanders, we had the two cowboys, we have two mums from, um, so we try and, Try and make sure that we're
1: super broad in it. Michael, how, how um, uh, involved uh, are you, or is 10 involved in sort of ensuring uh, what Sophia's talking about? Clearly, you probably don't have to need, need to do it with Eureka, but do you get hands on with that to ensure? I, I don't, but obviously, from Beverly but McGarvey's point
2: of view, who's now co lead, but it still takes that responsibility in making sure that is front and centre in those conversations but I'm sort of that's more the executive producers are across all of that they're all um, feel exactly the same way and it's as as Sophia said it's a conversation that you know it doesn't necessarily need to be need to have because it's kind of a given um which is which is good
1: jasmine talked about um you know brands some of the brands that she's talking to are frustrated by um a lack of diversity or a lack of choice uh, in programming diversity in, in programming um, they want to land some 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 things that they don't feel they can get for, at least from some of their agency partners what is the response? What is the conversation you're having with advertisers and brands around this, Michael? Because I want to believe that there is progress, but I often you know, just hear so much rhetoric and a lack of behaviour that I'm sort of a little bit cynical about whether brands are actually going to walk the talk and put the money down, uh, you know, because it's a harder thing to do. A principle is not a principle until it costs you. Um, what are the conversations you're having with brands, Michael? I think fundamentally, if we come back to what brands are, I mean, there's the the...
2: There's no ideological kind of bias with brands. They're they're pragmatic. They're kind of in some ways uniquely rational, and they see consumers as a sort of equally valuable. So um, any kind of divisiveness is something that that they're not. Doesn't make sense for a brand. And again, this is you know when you're looking at consumer brands and how how much research they do, how deeply they understand their consumers, um, they're. They're much more in touch than, you know, probably many think because of because their understanding of what their products mean to people. But also, you know, we're, we are in this place now where there's this supercharged kind of high intent purchasing and high corporate expectations. So things are quite different. They're very aware of just how important it is to deliver for consumers and if they don't, if they don't have policies in place, um, they can get punished for it. Now, having said that, there's still more than everyone can do. I mean, this is this is definitely a journey and we haven't got there yet. So some brands are definitely more ahead than others. Um, again, I think it's something that it really comes down to the brands that really understand their responsibility um, and it isn't just a logo that they attach to a website to go, look, we have some heart here. It's more something that's ingrained within the organisation. And the other day, brands are people, so it's the people within those organisations that feel passionately about what they're doing. So the conversations that we generally have is... It is top of mind for them. Um, You know, some of the issues that have happened in the last six months, we've had conversations around those clients and many of them saying, What can we do? How do we sort of affect change and what difference can we make? So, the more conversations we have, not just with with the brands that we talk to, but all media companies and publishers should be having those conversations in how we can kind of work together um, because I, I do believe that brands can play a role. We saw it in, these, in the United States. I mean, I think that, you know, I, th- I'm, I think the CEO, James Quincy of, of Coca-Cola, there was obviously legislative proposals in Georgia. Um, that company took a stand and... Uh, many claimed they'd be boycotted and all sorts of things. So coming back to your principle, when it when it hurts, um, I, I'm, I think that was probably somewhat exaggerated the the damage that would be done. But more importantly, it, it it shows that that brands are very willing and and want to affect change and also have the tools to affect change. I just think we've got to a point now. I think it's unquestionable we have the most purpose driven consumer ever seen that no one would have ever imagined. So.
1: That's that is a big difference. Great point. So, so Jasmine, can something like this, though, what Michael's talking about, and what Ten Viacom, CBS are doing, would it can it really swing a decision for an advertiser um, who's looking for this sort of stuff? But over a potential ratings and reach argument and cost versus ah, they've got a great diverse, diversity, diversity, uh, great uh, lineup of diversity and talent, and it's great. We love it. But would it will it swing a decision?
0: I'm not convinced. I'm a little bit more on the bleak side like you are. At this point, I see that reach trumps morality every time because advertisers at the end of the day have to deliver metrics and what performs well will be used. Uh, I think it's our responsibility to get them there. Um, And creative agency also carry a responsibility here to push their clients to do more. Um, but for that, we also need to change the landscape of creative agencies to a more diverse and inclusive environment, which is another problem in itself.
2: What I would add to that, though, is is we are seeing brands do, have shifted away from the most provocative commentators that have kind of encouraged maybe the the worst in us, and that they, we have seen that. So, I agree that we need to do more of it, and I agree that reach still is the key, but. I think that we are seeing brands that have moved their money from the more aggressive voices in the market and the commentators that are somewhat definitely out of touch with the cultural climate in Australia. Do you have any examples? Can you talk about the examples of that? I think you can see it from the US. You can see in terms of channels out of the US. I think we we know the brands that um, definitely major advertisers have moved away from. There is definitely a shift. When you, you know, Paul, if you remember, you know, the kind of, approach to news you, you went to the kind of ridiculous tabloids of the 80s and 90s that that worked and, and we definitely have that clickbait kind of approach today that works but there is an expense that comes with it you know it might sound dramatic but that those the cost to us as people is is pretty significant especially when you're denying climate change and doing a range of things so I think there is a, a more focus from major brands they are they are moving money around but having said that I think there's more that can be done
1: and reach is something that still is most powerful. What both you and Sophia are talking about is the argument of incrementality, right? So it's incremental steps to get somewhere, and that's that's where we're going. I, w- I would say though that I have to voice my own cynicism again around those 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 advertisers that are, are walking out of more divisive content environments and commentators. And I, you know, I can say it. I guess you can't, Michael, but I guess so. You can say like Fox News is something. There's something where you've seen some action from advertisers around certain uh, programs inside there and beyond. Um, but. At the same time, those same advertisers are happy to pile money into social social platforms which are as, as divisive, if not more, um, in a different way because they are carrying and the algorithms are encouraging divisiveness. There's a lot of money still pumping into that.
3: Maybe it's visit the optics. Are you saying then it's lip service but ba- sort of visual lip service is what they're doing when they're walking away from Fox because they're still spending their money doing the same thing just in a different platform?
1: Well, it's easier to walk away from a fact Fox identity than it is to walk away from Facebook or YouTube with such scale of audience. Without
3: doubt. Mm. It's
1: easy to replace alan jones than it is to replace facebook and all the shit that happens on facebook but we don't we that's another kind of whole argument the reality here though is that um what we are seeing is companies media companies and m- contributing and making a difference to what's what's seen on screen and the, ho- the whole bigger issue and that will be interesting to see how this plays out in 12 months michael what does the screens look like in 2 years time if both you and some of the other broadcasters get on this what do you what do you feel will look different and i want to ask sophia that one as well
2: you know obviously we're going to have you know content that's much more reflective of the broader society there's no doubt about that. I think that we're probably, you know, it's like some of the stories that I mentioned before that they're important stories that need to be told, but they're also highly engaging stories. You know, it's it's not about just talking about a social issue. It's also making that incredible content to watch and to be engaged in, to be moved by, to be angered by, to be, you know, a whole range of different emotions. So I think that we, you know, this is not just about, community announcements, it's about looking at content that um, can also, you know, do a, a job for society, but also stuff that, that people love and want to hear about. And I think you can see that with some of the formats that the ABC has put on too, that have got, you know, fairly serious numbers, um, because I think that people want to see more. So, and we've had a lot of success with some of the documentaries that we've put on air, um, in that way as well as the shift that we see when audiences feel that they are better represented. It's it's fairly simple in that way.
1: Sophia, your view for a couple of years' time? Well, the bottom
3: line is people want to be entertained and there will always be fads. Like I remember when Big Brother came back, came out all those years ago and we thought, God, we're never going to want to watch people in a house and look at all these years later. There's, it's still all over the world and in its various forms. Um, I think the, the pop culture and entertainment and good storytelling um is, is why people watch TV um, regardless of the genre. And so I think I, what I would hope will be the case is that we'll see more blended entertainment shows because that's that's what I'm specifically talking to, the stuff that you sit down as a family or you sit down as a kid or, you see, you know, it's cross-gender and... Um, and, and instead of it being specifically having to be, I think there's pl- absolutely a place for black comedy, that show. I think it's fantastic. Um, but I would love to see more shows. And I think there will be more shows where there, are, there are, is just a di- more generally diverse cast. And I, like I said, I think it comes back to also what the world, the the, the ease with which before COVID we travelled around the world and people's hunger for different cultures and different people, I think it, I would hope that that will be represented on screen.
1: So, so Jasmine, aside to this or parallel with this, I guess, you, you've started a really interesting initiative earlier this year called FCK, The Cupcakes. It might be said slightly differently. Now, you better tell us where the hell that came from and, and what the objectives here are for, for those that are not across it. Because it's in the, in the same territory, right?
0: It is in the same territory and it is a little bit different because it focuses on a slightly different angle of diversity. It focuses on um, gender equality and it focuses on pop culture narrative around representation of women in communications, but also how we talk about men because they need to be part of this conversation. How do we create better role models uh, for growing men in Australia? or for younger men in Australia. And it was basically born out of rage. We can call it FTC, shortened, um, to make it a little bit easier (laughs) for the listeners. Uh, I started this in March uh, and it happened around the time International Women's Day happened again. And as someone that's running a creative agency, I didn't quite know how to deal with International Women's Day this year. And... Um, it just tipped me over the edge when someone wanted to serve me a little cupcake and thought that that was kind of like a cute gesture. I, and, I, and, I, and I thought, cool, great, I get my cupcake today. And then we go back to 364 days of the same shit, but we are all happy. Um, and I just ha- felt like I had to do something about it. I actually took it away and I ate it. You can be a cupcake lover and still be an activist. So I decided to do something and because I feel that I'm in a power of privilege where I can encourage people around me to find their voice and speak up without fear of punishment. um, I should use the voice that I I should do something with it. And I wasn't quite sure what to do. So I just put it out on the internet. It's always a good uh, idea to put something out there and see what happens. Quite daunting, but it worked quite well. So we, uh, launched this as an industry initiative to fight misogyny in the workplace. Um, and I thought we start with the creative services industry. And I think we're always at our best as the creative services industry when we make something because we are so powerful in creating really awesome popular culture and narrative uh, that we could use to drive change. So that's how it started. And now it's turning into a Proper platform with a committee where we have marketers on board, media agencies, production companies, creative services, uh, people like creative people, like creative directors. Um, So quite a broad group of people, men and women, that want to take this on and actually create tangible action. So it's not about quotas or frameworks. It's about creating messaging, Um, looking at how we... Uh, create better narratives and advertising and content, how um, talent is more reflected in a more diverse way and how do we get people encouraged to speak up?
1: Well, it sounds like it's an incremental idea really when, when you're trying to change industry behaviour. Is it incremental or do you think there's a more powerful work coming here that could fast track something that maybe we won't see on television screens for for a couple of years? Are you going to get movement faster than what Michael will do on TV? There you go. How's that for a question?
0: It is complicated again. So I think advertising agencies have the power to do something, but we can't do it without the dollars from advertisers. And I wasn't sure what the appetite would be, but we now have marketers on board that they say, that say this is incredibly important to them and they can't get the right responses from their agencies. So I think we might... See See a little bit of momentum if we get more brands on on board but this will take time and this is also it's such a big topic and it's complicated to tackle so this is not an attempt to basically say we're going to fix misogyny i'm not being naive about this um this is about finding people that have the privilege and can do something about it because I think we have
1: to. Those are really interesting points. We're going to have to wrap this one up, but I just want to zip back to Sophia for a moment. Um, when Jasmine was talking about the brands and marketers joining her FCK initiative, brand integration is, is a really big thing in television and programming. So, so with The Amazing Race, are brands embracing some of that diversity that, that you're delivering?
3: I think brands go with who they think is most popular, for sure. And unfortunately, that same thing still applies. So d- depending on who the most popular, and that's character-driven, generally speaking. Um, I don't know that I have been actively aware of, of um, racism, if you like, and, or misogyny, or um, with who brands have chosen to align with. But integration-wise, to be honest, Paul, once, when brands want to integrate with race, they're re- integrating with the brand. Rather than with actual uh, actual individuals. Having said that, I've just made another show for for ten or uh, one of our other shows, um, which is called Making It, which is a fantastic show, which has again a very diverse cast um, and for everyone from the Philippines through to a uh, South African. She's Australian, but she's it originates from South African Indian lady, um, and the brands who came on board for that and they're both big big companies have aligned with whoever they felt they wanted to align with and there was no, there was no bias. So that's positive. I know you're a negative. I know you're, I know you're a half empty Paul, but that's a positive.
1: Yeah. Well, some would argue I'm more than half empty, but, but nevertheless, that's another completely different conversation. (laughs) Michael, the end game here, we better wrap this up. So the end game for you in a couple of years time, what's your ideal? The, the end game is that we've got
2: incredible power. In, in our industry, from the creative services, agencies, brands, um, production companies, broadcasters, publishers, we we have much more influence than we we think we have, and given the fact that we're actually quite a small industry, that's the thing that's quite surprising, in terms of the number of people involved. But with that comes a huge responsibility. I think we can do a lot more. Again, I, I, I don't want to come off as too positive, <laughs> but I think, but I think, I think we are making steps as an industry. We all play a role in that broader narrative. Every little story, every little thing that we can do can make a difference. So there's there's a lot more that we can do, and at the end of the day i think it's just better for consumers because they're demanding more of it they want to see more of of stories that that have that impact so i think it's all you know it 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 drives better content at the end of the day as well as playing a role and it is a role of uh, and there are many roles in society to to remedy these problems but it does play a role
1: well michael stanford Jasmine Bedir, Sophia Mogford, thanks. Great conversation. Let's watch out what happens to those cupcakes and diversity on TV screens. I'm sure plenty of people will be watching. Stay safe. Thanks for joining. Thank you thanks very so much. much. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free.
0: Listener.